Mac Power Users, Episode 358, Workflows with Gabe Weatherhead. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Happy New Year, David. Happy New Year to you as well, Katie Floyd. I hope you had a good Christmas. We did. Santa was good to you. Santa was very good to me. It was a very Apple Christmas, which is unusual for me, but uh, but very welcome. So we want to uh, get kicked off in the new year here with a longtime Mac Power Users friend, and we want to welcome back to the show, Gabe Weatherhead. Welcome back, Gabe. Hi, thank you for having me, and uh, happy holidays, happy new year, and lo- long-time listener. I think this is probably now the single longest running show I've listened to from episode one forward. Wow. Nice. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. Well, we only have six years left in our run, so you're... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Gabe, Gabe Weatherhead is uh, the guy who runs Mac Drifter, and Gabe's got a day job. He's a very smart nerd. I, I feel like if we were to get put together like kind of an all-star team of Mac Power Users guests, you're definitely up there, Gabe. You know, you, Brett Terpstra, Merlin. There's a couple... Uh, folks in our menagerie that just always deliver the goods and we realize it's been a while we were going to have you on to do the show with devon think because gabe's a big user of devon think and gabe is actually the one who pointed us at Stuart, who was an excellent guest but i said well if i'm not going to get gabe for a full devon think show you're coming on for a workflow show and thank you for agreeing to come on Oh, thanks. And thanks for having Stuart on. It was nice uh, hearing his perspective on it, too. Yeah, you're not off the hook. We are definitely going to spend a little bit of today talking about DevonThink because there's tons of feedback and and I've been using it more. Um, uh, but And we've got a whole list of subjects we want to talk to you about, Gabe. So uh, just to kind of dig right in, is it okay if I dig in, Katie, or am I missing something? I, I think you should go ahead and dig in. Yeah, uh, one of the things that you've been writing out over at Mac Drifter that I've been enjoying is um, you're using OmniFocus again. For a while, you had been using, I believe it was Task Paper. Yep, yeah, Task Paper on my Mac and uh, Task Meter on iOS for a long time. Yeah, and now you're back in OmniFocus, and it sounds to me like what pulled you back in was the automation. That was that was a big part of it. I think for me, I, so I was OmniFocus 1 user like as soon as it came out, I anticipated it from the old uh, kinkless GTD days and used it like crazy. Version two just did not fit the way I worked. And I tried for a while. And that's when I kind of decided that maybe it didn't fit because I had tailored the way I worked so carefully to fit OmniFocus one. So I, I kind of backed off and used task paper for a couple of years. So the, the automation was a big one because I felt like the capture and OmniFocus just was too cumbersome, like quickly putting things in. Um, and with the URL scheme, they really, I think, are nailing the URL scheme of how to integrate with, I, I use drafts, how, how to use drafts to like send a task directly into OmniFocus with all the dates and the tags they need and everything. Uh, that made a big difference to me. Um, but also they, they addressed a lot of the other other issues that uh, just didn't work for me in OmniFocus to when it first came out and it's a really mature system now so just like the layout and things that you you didn't like as much with version two they've they've given you more options now you're talking yeah about the, lay, the layout was one on the mac like i, I really like the old column view and things were just more visible to me i really liked um 
how they added the ability to copy tasks out as task paper format because sometimes or or even paste them in from task paper sometimes you know I just want a little list to work on so I still use task paper a lot in but it's not my ta- my task manager right task paper is now like my list manager of I'm going to clean the house before company comes that was one I I wrote about and I don't want to put that in Omnifile. Like I don't I don't need reminders of clean the upstairs bathroom. I just need to know today's the day I clean the house because we have company coming tomorrow. What are all the things that I need to do? And that's in task paper. I, I always kind of like, you know, not to get too weird, but I, I kind of call it like Omnifocus is kind of like for the sacred tasks. And sometimes there's things that aren't sacred. Like I know some folks put their grocery list in Omnifocus. I don't do that. I just put it in reminders because that makes sense for me. And everybody's different, but but it's interesting to me the interaction between task paper and OmniFocus. And since you're somebody who's used both, I thought it'd be worth talking about that for a minute and also just specifically what you're doing to automate. Now, just last week, you haven't heard it yet because, well, you may have, it just published, but one of my big workflows that worked in 2016 was the massive improvements to OmniFocus automation using task paper formatted project templates. Are you doing any of that stuff? I am not because my projects don't really fall into that category anymore. Like my work projects tend to be really long running uh, projects with lots of subcategories and stuff like that. And they're not always the same. I've considered doing it for things like, uh, you know, we always have similar types of reporting to do. Every month I have to write a certain number of reports that are like, you know, here's the financials for the project, here's the status, da da da, da. Um, And I don't tend to put that in OmniFocus. Like you said, that to me is just like the OmniFocus task will be like, write the reports, not write this section, go get the financial update, go to, which maybe is a violation of the GTD methodology, but it just makes OmniFocus too busy. You know, I already have hundreds of tasks in there. Putting every little minu- piece of like minutia in there would just make it unwieldy. It, you know, it just really depends. I feel like you want to make it as complex as it needs to be, but no more complex than that. Like uh, for me, and first of all, I'm really happy that you're not using project templates because I've already talked about that. I want you to talk about what you're doing. But the um, for me, like setting up a new company, there is a series of tasks that have to happen in a specific order. And if I miss one of them, it's a big problem. So I love having an individual task for each one of those. That way I know I never miss anything. It's kind of, I think that was that book called Checklist Manifesto a few years ago. It's in, a, in essence codifying that into OmniFocus for me. But but let's talk about you. Now, you said you're doing some automation with drafts. Give us a further explanation there. It's really mostly the, the capture piece. The fact that I can use, I can just quickly write out something in task paper format where you put in, you know, the, the at do and then a date. And I have a little keyboard shortcut and drafts that puts in, you know, a date. Um, I have, I can add the context right there. It's just so much faster for me than going to OmniFocus, clicking the button, going to the little sections, tapping it, scrolling to the date, you know, though that is nice when I have time, but very often I'm just running between meetings. I'm like, okay, I need to remember to follow up with this person and, and, and just drop, dropping into drafts, which is instantly open and just type, you know, follow up with, you know, at Tim and, you know, a date and, and that's it. And the URL scheme, the, the paste task paper format that's that's the big one because it supports so many um, 
fields. Yeah, variable fields and everything. Like uh, you can have it automatically match project and context and whether or not it's an autocomplete project or you know what what your time estimate is like everything and you can you can even put in a base 64 encoded attachment i wouldn't do that in from drafts but that's pretty cool uh it, it's i think it, it really changed how i use it i actually don't look at omnifocus very many times during my day while i'm working i you know i look in the morning here's what i need to do i start working on those tasks but throughout the day as i'm capturing i don't op- open omnifocus i open drafts my phone. Yeah, okay, so I just want to say we may have set a record like in the first five minutes. We just blew past the audience on some of that stuff. The, <laughs> yeah, um, I think you need to <laughs> slow that down and break it up a little bit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but just let's talk a little bit. Um, so Task Paper is a simplified text-based task management application. Um, how, who is it? That, it's somebody. Um, who is it that made Task Paper? Was I forget it, the, uh, Jesse? Yeah, Jesse Groschen. Yeah. Hog-based software. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. been around the Mac community a long time. He's made some of the best apps for the for Mac over the years. And he just made a really simplified task management system. And years ago, years ago, this was long before people were putting the word minimal in front of their app names. Like it was it was the original minimal task manager and he also made uh what is it? Write Room. Remember that? Yes, Write Room was a great app. And um the, uh, and, and the nice thing he did with task paper is he slim, simplified the way you codify things. So like if you want to make it something do, you put the at symbol and write the word do afterwards. And it essentially puts a do flag on the task. So you can just sit there with your keyboard and type in tasks very easily. That would make it do immediately. If you put, if you put parentheses and then a date in the parentheses, then it would make it do on that date so that you could have views. So when you filter by show me things due today or earlier, it would only show you those tasks. It was really smart. Like I think is like he tweaked some existing systems, but his system was really well thought out. And, and then like another thing he does is, is a flagged, you know, if you type at flagged, it flags the task. Um, was that in, I've never used task paper as my day-to-day task manager. That was in, task paper the basic task paper oh right? yeah yeah and, and in fact you could do at any word and that becomes a tag essentially you could make an infinite number of tags so you could have at david for a task that was relevant to david and you know at do or at and then i know some people use at project name because they want to filter on tasks related to a certain project but it has its own syntax for projects as well so, so it's, it is a bit of, I guess I would call it basic coding, but it's really just the at symbol plus your flag name. And sometimes there's additional data like a date after the word do or, or defer. And what OmniFocus has done is it's, it's, it's learned, it's learned to read those, those entries. That's right. Yeah. Some of them. Uh, now Gabe can open up drafts and he can type in a new task. And he can put that task paper syntax in. So he could put at do. Type it according to the original task paper um, syntax. And, you know, it doesn't, OmniFocus doesn't support everything. One of my pet peeves has always been the lack of, of supporting multiple contexts or tags, as, you know, as, as we call them in task paper. So it doesn't support multiple contexts because that's like a core function of OmniFocus. Is, uh, you, have, you have your context defined you know by location or where you need to do it and uh, 
on task paper, a tag can be anything. And, and so you still have to pay attention that you plan to put this into OmniFocus, but most of the core functionality I would use in TaskPaper, now OmniFocus supports through their URL scheme. And so what you've done then in drafts is you've created a way to very quickly create new tasks using that TaskPaper format. That's right. They have a URL scheme now with a function called paste. And essentially the OmniFocus for iOS respects the paste function to paste as uh, task paper. So you can, you can copy task paper. If you open up a, a text document on iOS and you type some, you type a whole list of tasks and, and, and projects all using the task paper format, you copy all that task, all that information, you go over to OmniFocus, you can paste that in and it will magically paste them as new uh, tasks and projects. The URL scheme for paste does the exact same thing. And you can have it from drafts, send it in, paste it in, boom, you have your new task with all the relevant information put into the task. It's just so much faster, that I find, than the, than the OmniFocus method. Now, how are you having it insert the date? Are you typing it manually, or have you got a trick for that? So this, this is the cool part, and I don't know why this isn't in the, in the app through the app entry method uh, of OmniFocus. You can put do, you know, at do parentheses 3D, and that will be three days from now. And when that gets pasted in OmniFocus, it just knows what that date should be. That's so fast. I don't even need to think about what, I don't need to look up the date. I don't even know what today's date is. I just say 1W, and it knows that's one week from now. Or, or if you want to really blow your mind, right, T-U-E, I said, is it, no, I'm sorry, 1W space T-U-E, one week from Tuesday, it yeah, should work. That's so cool, right? Like, yeah. That that was a lot of attention. I think a, somebody loved that feature of Task Paper because uh, Task Paper supported that as well. The ability to say like you know you put in uh, you put in the plus one W and it expands it and stuff like that. That's that's really awesome. I, th- I think that's so much faster than the um, the scroller that they have for the date. And I don't know if that is that that actually may be OmniFocus code for when it's taking the input. Because like I uh, I do something very similar in editorial where I create you know twenty item tasks you know twenty item projects and one of the things you can do is put a variable in like I can say do and in parentheses I put in double brackets the word do and then when I run the script it says okay smarty pants what is the due date and I'll put in Tuesday or whatever and then it'll go and autofill that in every instance of that variable call. Which is just a search and replace, right? That's yeah. yeah, exactly. So there's a video I did on it. We'll put that in again this week if you if you haven't heard enough of me talking about that. But so you're using drafts to enter a new task. What other types of automation stuff are you doing with OmniFocus these days? Uh, you know, I played around with using some stuff uh, through the workflow app. I think the workflow app is really cool for running workflows. It's really tedious to build complex workflows. Uh, so I ended up just finding myself crawling down that rabbit hole and then backing out and saying, you know, <laughs> the 20 minutes I just spent could have been better spent actually accomplishing some of these tasks. So I don't I don't actually automate a whole lot more in OmniFocus of putting things in. One thing that has been a huge benefit is uh, the support and Devon think for 
document URLs so that supporting information, that's a, always a big one for me. And that was that was a pain point in OmniFocus as well of just having an area in my task manager where I could collect information about a project. You know, I work with, I work with computers, right? So a lot of times they'll need to know you know, what's the server address and who, who are the project members on this giant project? Who, you know, what are their email addresses? And that's su supplemental information. And OmniFocus isn't really designed to hold that. And, and I would find myself putting it in other systems and then trying to execute my task going, oh, I need to go look that up. Where is that? With DevonThink now, I just put the link to the note or the document from DevonThink into the note area in OmniFocus. And that's, you know, I can tap that or click it. It works across Mac OS and iOS, and it'll open the exact document. So supplemental information is handled now entirely outside of my task manager. Yeah, they, I actually have several questions for you about DevonThink. But before we go on to that, um, just uh, it's been a couple of years. What do you think of the state of automation in general on iOS these days? Uh, I was just talking today, you know, there are some still major gaps on iOS. I'd love to see a keyboard maestro for iOS almost. Something that was was a little bit more like workflow, but easier to build out things. I find workflow the big the big weakness, and I, I love the app. So this isn't, you know, I can criticize it because I, I love it, and I've recommended it to lots and lots of people. Um. I find that you have to put a lot of things into a variable to hold it and then come back and read read that variable. And it's just very time consuming to build a workflow. And, and I, I get down like, you know, halfway down a workflow and just ask myself, what am I doing? I just spent a half an hour doing this thing that would save me literally 30 seconds. And how many times would I do that, that this would make, make sense? Uh, it's the geek's dilemma, though. Yeah, I know. And it's fun. I enjoy it. It's, you know, it's a hobby. I do automate a lot in drafts. And I think that is probably where I do most of my automation these days, because I like the way drafts is essentially like a text box for iOS. That's how I treat it. It's just a text entry box. And then I plug it into everything else. What's some of your favorite automation in drafts? Oh boy! Do you mind if I pop it open? Uh, I have all kinds of all kinds of date expansions, tons of markdown stuff. I have short dates, long dates. I have a lot of my tags for making um, tasks. You know, I have my context tag. I have uh, smart movements. And let's see for my sharing. Like I just made one in drafts. This I'm a craft beer guy, right? I made an I made an app for craft beer. That's how much I like I like craft beer. Uh, so we killed off our app. I still want to be able to record the beers I like or the beers I want to recommend to my friends or that I keep in my cellar. So I decided to put that into drafts. And it's essentially a workflow. You, you run it. It pops up and asks a few questions. So it has prompts and it says, what's the name of the beer? What's the name of the brewery? What's the alcohol percent? And then it fills in this whole template in drafts. And then I have another one that basically sends that off to DevonThink and creates a new note in DevonThink with that information. And the title of the note is made, you know, the way I want it. And it has a date stamp in it. And and that's just an example I did, you know, a day and a half ago. So it, it pretty took, much Wait, anytime, wait, wait, wait. It took you this long to create a automatic beer entry? Gabe. 
I, had an, I built an app to do that. <laughs> and we only <laughs> killed the app like two weeks ago. I've had okay. some period of mourning <laughs> of, of, of just coming to terms with the fact that I, I can't use my favorite app okay. anymore. Um, let's see. I have my work journal. So I keep a journal um, where I document achievements, things that I've completed because year end review is really hard to go back through and try to remember every little project that I did along the way. And so I keep a quick journal, right? Enter that. So you open drafts and you type in an entry for this year in journal Mm -hmm. and then that's dropping it into a Devon think note that right now it's dropping into a Dropbox note. I still haven't moved all my, all my notes into Devon think because it's still like, I still want to use editorial, right? I still want to use these really nice, text editors and they don't work seamlessly with Devon think. So I keep a lot there. Let's see. Uh, I ha- I do have a workflow that I use pretty often in workflow in the workflow app, which I think is really, uh, one of my more clever ones. So do you ever, you ever want to text a whole group of people, but you don't necessarily want them all in the same thread? Oh yeah. Cause you don't want them all to reply. Yeah, and, and maybe they don't know each other, or maybe, you know, whatever, whatever the reason is. Uh, so I want to send a picture of my kid to a bunch of people and say, like, oh, check this out, we did this thing. And I don't want to do 10 different messages. So I have a workflow that basically I put in the text, I choose the pictures, and then it pops up with a checkbox. Who all in this list do you want to send this message to? And then it fires off messages to each one separately in different threads. And you're doing that from workflow? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So you can just it can just go through and selectively run a loop and this send individual text messages. That's right. You should publish that. That would I be popular. I think I did some, sometime. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you did ago. send me the link, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, you know, it, it, there should be a name for that thing when you send out a group message, like of a cute picture of a kid, and then people start replying for the sake of other people seeing the reply. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's weird. I It's like a social phenomena. And I, I don't know. There should be a name for it, but I, I don't like it, whatever it is. There they needs to be a blind copy on messages. That's in my opinion. Like there needs to be a way to, to just put everybody in there. But when they reply, it doesn't go to everybody else. It's similar to the way people sometimes paste things on Facebook that are not actually them. It's like a fictitious version of themselves. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of which, Katie and I have an announcement about Facebook, but we'll <laughs> we'll save that for the end of the show. Oh, just, boy. just stick around. You're going to love it. You are oh, boy. Love it. I love hearing about Facebook. <laughs> so does David. David really loves Facebook, too. I'm For the <laughs> listeners, I'm going to make a sacrifice. Just stay tuned. We'll tell you at the end of the show. Oh, no. but, but Gabe has now brought up the subject of Dev and Think a few times. I, I feel like we need to address it right after this. Well, this episode of Mac Power Users is sponsored by Smile, and I want to take a moment to talk about the entire PDF Pen family of products. PDF Pen is the Swiss Army knife for managing all of your PDFs, and you can manage your PDFs everywhere you go, whether it's on a Mac, an iPhone, or an iPad. Let's start and talk about the Mac. There's PDF Pen for Mac and PDF Pen Pro for Mac, and PDF Pen is your PDF editor for choice. It's my default PDF editor on the Mac, and you can do everything from signing your PDF documents, filling out forms, correcting typo, OCR your scans, and Gabe's going to talk about why OCR 
is so important a little later in the show, redacting sensitive information, and a whole lot more. And if you upgrade to PDF Pen Pro, you can do even more with your PDFs. You can build powerful PDF forms. You have more export options. You have more control over permissions and tables. The world of PDFs is completely open to you with PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro for Mac. And if you want all of this power, but mobile in your hands or in your pockets, you should check out PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone. It's available in the Mac App Store. It's a single app that you purchase. So you buy it once and you've got it for both platforms. And you can do most of these things right in your hand with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone. It is your mobile all-purpose PDF editor. You can sign forms on the go. You can scribble and highlight without wrist smudges. You can sync documents back and forth with your Mac and with all kinds of cloud services. You can add and remove text and fix typos. You can mark up, highlight, draw, add notes, comments, and more. My favorite feature is to pull out my iPad, sign a quick form, save it back as a PDF, and send it off to somebody. Who needs a fax machine when you've got PDF pen for iPad and iPhone? And also rounding out the PDF pen family is PDF pen scan plus. PDF pen scan plus is your mobile scanner on iPad and iPhone. You can automatically scan receipts and documents And the magic here is it will OCR your scans. That's optical character recognition securely on your device. And once you have that OCR in your scans and you've got the data behind your scans, you can do anything with that data. You can auto export it to cloud storage or view your scans in PDF pen, which opens up a whole other world of options for you. You can share with email, sync with Dropbox or iCloud and a whole lot more. So you can go check out the whole PDF pen line of family by visiting smilesoftware.com slash MPU. And thanks to Smile for their kind support of the podcast. So, uh, Gabe, we we had a Devon Think show. You were originally going to be our guest. You decided to bail on us. I'm I'm, oh, I'm, come on. I'm just kidding there. No, you <laughs> you you very kindly offered to do it, but said I, I'd be happy to do it. But you should go talk to this other guy, Stuart. And uh, that was very kind of you. And we said, okay, well, we'll do that, but only if you promise to come join us for a workflow show. Uh, but of course, we want to get your thoughts and impressions on, number one, how do, you, how do you think we did on that show? I won't ask you how Stuart did. I know you think he's fabulous. Um, but anything that we missed, anything that you have to to add to the Devon Think Show, here, here's our opportunity for follow-up. Just one and it had to do, and it wasn't anything anybody got wrong. It was just a piece that I thought was pretty important considering like what a nut I am about privacy and security and stuff like that. One of the things I like about DevonThink is that it encrypts the data on your device before it goes to your syncing backend. So you can you can use Dropbox or uh, what's their other service that they support? Box.net, maybe? Uh, WebDAV, all these different services you can sync with. And, and I believe the Mac version will sync with iCloud, uh, but the iOS version doesn't yet. But before it goes there, it's encrypted. So the, the data sitting on the sync service isn't visible to the sync service owner. And I really like that. Like, that's a big deal for me. And it's the first time I felt like, oh, I can put like things about my work that I really shouldn't put into Dropbox, I can put in here. I feel better about that or personal things like, you know, all the, all the details about my family. I still tend to keep most of that in one password though, because I'm still, still a little paranoid there, but I just, I like that mentality and that thinking of, you know, this is your data. Why should it have to sit there open and, and not to that I'm worried about some uh, employee at Dropbox looking at it, but that 
uh, you know, I don't want an AI looking at it. I don't want somebody <laughs> crunching my data unless I ask them to. Uh, so I thought that was a big one that was a major selling point to me. I know that's not a major selling point to a lot of people, but, uh, other than that, I think you guys kind of nailed the, what I think are the useful features and it's not for everybody. I think that's a, that's an important point to make. It's, you have to think this way. Like you, if you think in folders, like organizing in folders or even in tags, I think that works better that way. If you just like to dump everything into one big bucket and then you search to find stuff, it'll work, but it works much better if you, if you put some organization underneath it. What, what do you think since, since you've been on last, I mean, they've released this iOS. It's a significant update, this iOS version. It's a totally different app. It's, <laughs> they should have given it a, a complete, like, just forget we, that other app existed. Wipe the slate, you guys. This is, this is the real deal. It's a really, really nice app uh, as far as the, the right functionality on the device. Like, I like the quick capture stuff. If you have something on your clipboard, it tries to figure out what you have on your clipboard when you go to create a new document and, and get you started by creating the right type of document. If you have text, it, it creates a text note first. And you can back out of that and say, no, 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 I want to take a picture now and, and create a new photo in my library. Um, but I, I think those nice little touches really help. Uh, search is very, very fast through all the documents on iOS. And I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nine, nine databases that I'm syncing with my iOS device right now and searches instantaneous for me. It, 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 I mean, it, it, it solves the problem because I, as I said in that show, I felt like I really couldn't take dev and think too seriously because I was so often I'm out and about with just an iPad and I would not have access to anything. And now I do. So it gets me in the gate, but it's so much more than that. I've been using the app quite a bit since we recorded that show. And it seems like they get so many of the little things right. It, it feels very mature to me, if that makes sense, in terms of iOS implementation. Well, the the team working on it and the company is, I don't think, I don't know if there are many more mature companies out there on making Mac software. Devin thinks has been around well over a decade. And the people making it are the same people. They really know this stuff. They really know the the technology underneath the hood. So. But sometimes that can be crippling. If you've been making this app for the Mac for over 10 years, and you have this mindset of how it's supposed to work, and the way they've done it on iOS is very different than the way it works on the Mac, which is, I believe, correct. Um, the the One thing I've noticed is, because I've been really giving this thing a lot of work lately, I've been trying to figure out how it fits in my life, is I still don't think it's really so much as a place I want to store all my files as much as it is a place I want to store research and resource material. Yeah. And I think that's something that didn't come out in our show because at the time I wasn't, I hadn't spent enough time with it. To, it feels to me like trying to like move my Dropbox file system into Devon think is not the right answer. But, um, but, but taking a big research project, I'm working and dropping all the stuff in there. Things people are doing today with Evernote, for instance, uh, it, it is very much the right answer. Well, I think it, it's personal preference. For for example, I know you do a ton of stuff with Hazel for like bills, financial documents, things like that, right? And I think you do too, Katie, right? Are you using Hazel for that? Yeah. I do, yes. And that that's awesome. Hazel is such a sweet application for the Mac and one of those things that is the first thing I install on, my, on a new machine. But I've moved all of that stuff 
into DevonThink because number one, I want it all available on my phone because I sometimes, uh, you know, I, I'm at work and I'm like, okay, call the gas company and check on this thing. Well, what's my account number? Okay, well, I got to look for an old bill. There, there's that kind of stuff. But then filing on DevonThink is, is awesome. I just throw it into the inbox for my financials database and then I run through and what is it? It's like control command shift C or something like that. And it automatically puts it into, you know, it looks through and it's like, oh, national grid, this account number, it figures out this is a gas bill. I don't have to do anything. I didn't have to write any macros. I don't have to transfer those scripts to a new machine. It just knows because it knows that I already have documents in a folder called uh, under underneath utility bills, gas company. And it just throws everything in there. So I love that aspect of it. And that's not research. That's just like, I'm keeping my data organized. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to run those two against each other to see which one does better, you know, a, a well-scripted Hazel script versus automation. Yeah. And th- those require good OCR though, too. So a lot of things break down once you don't do OCR. <laughs> like if, you're, if you're just capturing photos of things, it's not super useful to throw them into dev and think I, and unless you're going to manually organize everything. Yeah, and something we missed on that show, so this is a little bit of feedback, is I was mentioning on the show how, like, I like to run Hazel rules on my scripts and everything. And, like, as soon as we ended the show, you know how your mind works? The answer came to me. Yeah, I was saying, well, I don't know if I can do Devon thing because I want my Hazel rules to run. If you wanted it, you can just use reference files for Devon thing, and it, it would work fine. And I should have thought of that while we were recording the show, but I literally... We we hadn't hung up more than two minutes, then the answer came to me. And thank you, everybody, for the email giving me the answer, too. <laughs> and, you know, you can also, uh, the scripting uh, dictionary for DevonThink is is pretty deep. If you really want to get into AppleScript, you can write a lot of uh, scripts in DevonThink that do things for you. Like, you can have scripts attached to a file, so when you select the file, it runs the script. Or... You can attach it to a folder, so when you put things in, it does runs the script on on the item. Uh, you can like I just used one. I wanted to prefix a whole folder full of files that I had in Devon thing. I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to go through here and one by one. And I looked in the scripting directory, and sure enough, there was a script to prepend the whole selected list of folders with some text. It pops up, opens a box, a text box, type it in and hit run. And it prepended all the files without text. Yeah. Those guys are so smart. <laughs> it's cool. And they, they've released a lot of open source stuff too, over the years that, that I, I like some of their Apple scripting and their other stuff I use. They have a series of text tools of memory serves that I've used a lot. Yeah. Text services and stuff. Um, Gabe, what are a couple of the ways, I mean, you've talked about using it now as basically your document store and for statements and things like that. And we heard from Stuart on some of the ways that, that he's using DevonThink. Are you using DevonThink for everything? Are you, I mean, is it basically your file service now? I'm using it a lot more now. I mean, you know, I'm on Windows at work. We've talked about that. And that, that stinks. Uh, but I find that I can bring, I can steal my daughter's iPad Pro. <laughs> in the morning on my way to work, take it with me, prop that up, have Devin think open split screen with OmniFocus. And I have ton, like all my information's right there. Yeah. I'm missing a lot of keyboard shortcuts and other little niceties that I would have on the Mac, but it's fantastic to be able to quickly search and find everything and link and create a task and, and, and OmniFocus from a document and Devin think. And uh, that is great. 
I would say something that I noticed you, you didn't talk a lot about that I got a, a huge amount of benefit from and completely changed the way I viewed the feature in in Mac OS is the use for use using tags. Remember when everybody was really excited about using tags and they're like, oh, oh, we added tags to iOS. Look at our future is so bright. And then like tags didn't really help us there that much. Well, they're, they're there in Omni. In, uh, there, there, there was a battle fought at Apple and there's blood still on the carpet somewhere. <laughs> I know it. You get them with Devon think. And so I use tags a lot more than I ever did before. And that's really nice. And then, to be able to quickly find things or search based on a tag or organize things. It, like I now really depend upon them. I never thought I would. I was a kind of a naysayer for tags for a long time. So how are you using them? Well, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that I do with, uh, you know, the stuff that you've seen before, like Merlin's Q trick. That's a great tag. And then I have a smart group of like, sh- here's all my QQQ files, uh, that are, t- that are tagged QQQ. Yeah, I could do it with a text search too, but I-, I prefer the tag because now it's easier to search and it's easier to see. I can see a whole list of everything that everything that has a tag of Q, um, you know, then you're not finding documents with a single Q in it. And so just explain to everyone what the QQQ trick is. Oh, well, uh, go listen to MPU 23. <laughs> I think that was, that was the... Uh, Wait a second, you know the number? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I was like, where did Merlin first talk about this? Because... I've used this for so long and he's so smart. And when he, when he talked about the, the Q trick or the, uh, what was another one he talked about? Like ref X or something like that, that he came up with where it's a unique word that you can easily find. And if you're using like envy alt, you can be sure you type that out and it's going to filter the list to just those things. It'll never, it's essentially a tag. Right. Yeah. And this Q trick was you just keep using a sequence of cues and the more cues like the more important it is or something, something like that was his original like, terminology around it of if it's four cues, it's really important. And then, you know, you type four cues, you don't see any document unless it has four cues. And that's a pretty important document and three cues, maybe less important. And the four, it finds things that are four cues and three cues and two cues finds even more stuff. And, you know, it's just a way to progressively filter down how important your information is. Which is the way NVL, because NVL was this live search while you typed in the search bar. Man, I have, have you gotten any word on, on the NVL replacement thing? I'm really. No, no. We'll, we'll need to talk to Brett this year and get the update if he wants to tell us. <laughs> I don't know. So, Gabe, besides tagging, how are you organizing this? Are you throwing everything into a single database? Do you have multiple databases kind of segregated by different big branches of your life or? Yeah, big areas. So let's see, looking here, I have a database for cooking. So I do most of the cooking in our house. So I I put my recipes in there, not just recipes, but like equipment that I might be interested in getting or techniques, like how to bone a chicken and all that stuff's in there. And I put the, you know, that's in my cooking database. It doesn't need to be in my financials database. Then I have a database of product manuals. So, you know, my kids Lego sets, (laughs) Like there, the manuals are in here and I could just quickly search the the number or the name of the Lego set and find them. Um, I have a database for everything related to my online activities of 
articles I'm thinking about on Mac Drifter or my reading archive of things I get off the internet that I want to save like permanently and have a local copy I put in, put in there now. Um, so, so tell me on your, like your utilities database, cause you're, you're having Devin think do the search and analysis for you. Are you still, you, you're still using folders in it, correct? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the, to, to um, Devin think a, f- a folder, they call them a group, a group and a tag are pretty much the same thing. But you can, so you can create hierarchies of them. So you can create a taxonomy of, let's see, I have bills, utilities, then I have cable, electric, gas, phone, septic. Um, then I have my waste disposal service, uh, all these really interesting things about my life. I have taxes. So under taxes, I have all the different years. And then inside each year, I'll have. So when I started the business to make the app, now I have taxes that are my taxes and the business taxes. So those are both now in those. And it knows now when I get a, a bank statement, I don't have to do anything. I just hit the auto file. It knows this bank statement goes to the company and not to the person, um, which is nice. Uh, so so what you did probably, and you just tell me where I'm wrong here, but if someone is playing along at home, they're like, hey, that sounds like a good idea. I want to try it. My guess is you would probably import your existing hierarchy. And then as new stuff comes in, you drop it into the inbox. We talked about it a few weeks ago that there's an, there's kind of a universal or there's a library specific or database specific inbox. You put it in the database inbox and then you just let Devin think do its thing. And it, it, it drops those into the existing hierarchy for you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So to get it to drop into the, into the existing hierarchy, it needs to be in the inbox for that database. So if it's in the global inbox, it won't know which database it might need to put this in. And that's because you can have a, essentially identical sets of documents. And I think maybe that's a, they don't want to get into trying to figure out where it should go in that case. But if you put it in the inbox, so my bills come in, I throw them into my inbox from my financials and they all go in that inbox from there. Then I can select them. And, uh, if you hit the little upside down hat thing, uh, it gives you a score and it says, I think this, like right now I'm looking at a bank statement. I think this is a bank statement and I think it should go into um, this particular location in bank statements. And then below that, it lists other potential matches that are lower scores. So if you, if you want it to go, if it's right, you just hit the control C uh, to send it to to the one that's right. Or you can just, you know, go down and click the one that you want it to go to. And then it kind of updates this algorithm a little bit and says, Oh, okay, well, Next time I'll get it. I'll, I'll do a better job. But just drag your original folders in. And you're you're all set. You don't have to do anything beyond that. It'll just figure out what you meant uh, that that those folders to mean. And it does get smarter. So if the first few times it doesn't get something right, it it will eventually. And the um, more data you have, the better it gets at trying to figure out where things should go. And you can confuse it if you if you mix up like if you say you know create a document, you put one you know, car payment in one folder and in the next car payment in a different folder, it's going to show you both potential folders as, as results. The other, the other thing about that is it, um, and that's why Gabe has eight or nine libraries. If you, if you kind of narrow the libraries to specific subjects, if you, it does a better job. If you put your car payment records in the same library that you have your Lego manuals and your work research, it's going to be harder for it to figure out what to do with it. Yeah, I don't have any quantitative proof of that, but that's been my experience of just it seems like it does a better job if I segregate these 
areas of my life. Plus, I, I kind of don't like. I, I have a database of just gifs, 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 gifs. Don't send me email. Um, how, whatever you want to call them, I have a library of just those. Do I even want to know what you do with them? I send them to people I love. Don't send them to me. <laughs> Oh, I have a perfect one right here. <laughs> You're telling me that when you receive, receive GIFs or GIFs as, as text messages, it, it upsets you? I have a, a block, a filter. I have an app that just blocks them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to file that away. <laughs> okay. So I have, I, have, uh, I have a database of just these, and they're tagged according to their category. Like, I have a tag called creepy, and a tag called baby, oh and a goodness. tag called... And then I have a, a set of tags under animal, and then it's different types of animals. So if I'm like, what was that chicken gif I had? Uh, I, I just So folks, when you think tag. you're searching the internet for gifs, you're actually searching Gabe's DevonThink database. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about like these really smart people at DevonThink. They're like, the software is awesome. People are going to cure cancer with the software. And Gabe is organizing his chicken gifs with it. <laughs> I've done I've done relatively important things with it as well. I okay. know I know some of the things you do. You're a pretty smart guy, but <laughs> uh, to each their own. I I like my I like my gifts, and I'm going to pronounce it with the soft G. Okay, so so one more question: If you were trying to to automate records or you know any type of similar library, uh, you know I, I've been playing with it. I want to talk more about it on the show. I haven't given it enough attention in the past. Now that they take an iOS seriously, I'm going to take them seriously. But it, it is a little bit terrifying just turning it over to the AI of the software to say put my records in the right folders or the right places because, um, you know, what if they are your tax records and you go to pay your taxes and you can't find find what you need or, you know, you want to make sure you paid the health insurance bill but you're not sure where it is now because. These are thousands of records with anybody anymore. Well, the same thing goes for, yeah, the same thing goes for Hazel or anything. Like I've really like hammered my computer <laughs> with Hazel of, oh no, I just unsorted 10,000 folders into a single, <laughs> single directory. Big difference between and and or. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there is that, but search is pretty great. And if I, if it if it did get it wrong, I'm confident I'd be able to find it within, you know, under a minute in the future if I if I needed it. Just searching, you know, W two and a year, and it would probably show me most of the documents I would need, uh, regardless of where they were. So it, it, it's I'm not terribly concerned about that. Plus, you can kind of if you don't trust it, get started and look at where it's recommending. It doesn't do it automatically. That's that's the thing. Like you throw them into your inbox. And then as you thumb through them with your arrow key, it shows you like, oh, I think this goes here. And you see the list of where it thinks things should go. And you can decide yes or no. And and as you get comfortable with it, you'll see like it, it for me, I would say 99% easily it gets right. And the rest I can find through search. Well, I, I think um, just right now even though the software has been around for a long time it feels to me like more than ever it's relevant and useful am i right on that yeah i have so much data <laughs> i just haven't gotten rid of anything <laughs> yeah i i think so I, for, for me the 
you know, and I didn't mention it with OmniFocus. That was a big thing that brought me back to OmniFocus as well of the end-to-end decryption that they're doing now. Like they really started taking security seriously on the OmniFocus sync and the OmniSync service and all that. And I, I really respect that. And I think that was a good call on their part. Um, that That's important to me for, you know, maybe not to everybody, but it's an important thing for me. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash uppercase MPU to get 20% off your personal or family plan. Your security on the internet should be important to you, and 1Password is an excellent partner to help protect you. Not only does 1Password create strong and unique passwords for each of your internet logins, it also stores secure data for you on all of your devices. And there's big news as we roll into the new year. 1Password has now released version 6.5 for the iPhone and iPad. A lot of work went into this update, and you're really going to like it. This new version has a brand new first-time onboarding process for new customers. So if in the past you felt maybe a little intimidated by something like 1Password, they've made it easier than ever to get started. So the first time you launch 1Password now, it'll help you set up your data securely and even set up your synchronization across your various devices. This makes getting into 1Password easier than ever. Another great new feature with version 6.5 is an all-new Apple Watch application. This new version of 1Password for your wrist was completely redesigned to take advantage of watchOS 3. It's now fully a native Apple Watch application, and it's super speedy. Now you can easily move items onto your wrist from 1Password. If there are passwords or access codes that you frequently want to access and get them on your wrist, 1Password does that swimmingly now. The iOS version also got a lot more powerful. You can move and process multiple items at once. So those of you out there that have gone with the iPad and iPhone-only lifestyle will have the same power as the users on the Mac. Overall, this is a great new update for 1Password. If you haven't tried it yet, now's the time. Download this new version and let it show you how easy it can be to manage your passwords. And if you already have 1Password, go ahead and set it up on your Apple Watch now. You're going to really love the new Apple Watch application. To learn more, head over to onepasswordcom slash uppercase MPU. You can learn all about the application there and also get 20% off an individual or family plan which saves you a few bucks and makes us look great. My thanks again to 1Password for sponsoring the Mac Power users. You know, before we took our break, you were kind of mentioning the importance of privacy. The um, last time you were on the show, we talked a lot about web services and how you were using them. I know just reading the blog and talking to you as a friend that, that you're not so so um, bully on web services these days. Want to explain that a little bit? <laughs> Man, I'm going to come off as such a kook, aren't I? <laughs> my library of gifts and my tinfoil hat. and uh, <laughs> yeah. I think we'll just take the gifts and set those aside for now. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I was really, I really loved IFT, the, the automation service where it kind of plugged into everything and did you know, rudimentary type automation, but valuable stuff. And I kept hoping, okay, they're going to come out with a business model. They're going to let me pay them for this. This is great. And it just never happened. And I'm left wondering like, well, they're still in business. Where's their money coming from? Like, what are they doing? Like I, 
how are they making money? And once I have to start asking that, I kind of have a good idea of probably how they're making money. They're either still burning through venture capital, uh, but IFT has been around how many years now? I don't know how that would be possible. Or they're, they've found some other way to monetize it. And I know they have some that are, uh, I think they have a paid service service version that's business or something like that. Um, I just, uh, that kind of stuff worries me. Zapier is, I think, I think a lot nicer as far as you can pay for the account and it'll do, do its thing. Yeah. It's also more powerful, really. Yeah. It's a lot more powerful and it's expensive, but you know, well, that's why I asked for, right? I, I should pay for it if that's what I want. And I do, I do use it lightly. Uh, I still, it's more powerful, but it's also more problematic. I still run into more edge cases that it doesn't work with that if just seems to know how to handle. Like, it, I think they're, they expect their users to be less sophisticated at Ift, so they solve more problems automatically for you. Um, whereas Sapier is like, oh, you can write a, you know, a JavaScript <laughs> to do this thing, and and that's cool. Uh, but I don't want to write a lot of JavaScript. Plus, I'm finding I can do a lot more just on my device without having to send things off to the web, like like we talked about with drafts or, you know, Pythonista is a great app. If I really want to churn through some data in Pythonista, like I want to parse this big file and spit out a bunch of text files, I can do that and on my device and it never leaves my device and no one else has to look at it. And I just, I, I guess that I've gone that direction now of realizing that there's probably not a whole lot of money in web automation for normal people. Like there's Companies can't make that much money. That's why Yahoo killed Pipes. Pipes was... You know, Yahoo Pipes was amazing, absolutely incredible. And they killed it. And I guess I just feel like that's not something that people are willing to pay directly for at a very large scale. And uh, But right now I'm kind of happy that I cut all ties with Yahoo a while back. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, um, the, uh, but just getting back to this, you know, like in this last year, you know, at WWDC, they announced that Apple's Photos app on the phone and the iPad is going to not only identify people in your library, it's also going to identify mountains and dogs and other things. And and everybody's initial reaction was, well, then they must be indexing it in the cloud. And they're like, no, we're doing it on device, and that's fine. And I, I'm sure that it's not as good as you're getting with the indexes. And I think I've seen, you know, blog posts comparing and proving this uh, as opposed to giving your photos over to a service like Google and letting them do it on their server farm. But it's doing a, a credible job on device now. And that's a big change in the world where, you know, the thing that you're carrying in your pocket now is getting enough smarts to do its own artificial intelligence. And you don't have to let the people in dark sunglasses see everything you do. <laughs> Yeah, but do you think you you and you, the three of us probably care about that? I don't know that many app of Apple's customers actually cares about that piece of of the technology. And I love them for doing it that way to say like, look, we just don't want to be. I, I, I'm sure the stories behind the scenes of like what's gone on between Apple and various government agencies around the world, and this is maybe done this way to protect them so that they don't have to give over data. Uh, but I don't think many people would be willing to say, uh, pay a hundred dollars more for a device in order to have their data 
uh, kept private. I just don't see that being something most people care about. Yeah, but uh, you don't have to because the way Apple's doing it, they make the money in the device anyway. But the, uh, the the flip side of that is I don't think that many people care about the quality difference. I mean, uh, I, last time I checked, the, um, the, the photos index cannot find a Wookiee, you know, but <laughs> but I believe Google photo search can. Did you file a radar? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that is a huge mistake. I don't know how they could let that get through, but um, they did. And, uh, and it's going to be harder to get that implemented on the iPhone. But I think for most people, it's like I was at Christmas just a few days before we record the show and somebody was uh, at at the dinner table showing me, hey, did you know my phone can identify all my dog pictures? I'm like, oh, really? How do you do that? Yeah, I'm just curious to see you know, how people find this stuff. Like, I don't know how it works, but they, uh, I just type in dog and it finds all my dog pictures. And they, they just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. It is cool. You know, that somebody who's never tried the same feature with Google Photos and as far as they're concerned, Apple invented it, you know. But I guess my point is I don't think people care that much the exact quality. I mean, people like us do, but most people out there don't really care. And all of a sudden we've got this AI on these devices. And I, I think that does play a role with um with you know what we do with cloud web services versus on device stuff. Yeah, I'm 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 really I'm I'm scared and excited for AI in the future. I think that's going to be the next big defining moment in, in you know personal computers of instead of of us doing all of the intellectual work trying to manage our files and organize our files and do all this stuff, the computer will anticipate what we need when we need it. You know, it'll understand somebody asked for something in an email and know that you probably need this PowerPoint deck from three weeks ago. That to me sounds amazing, but it's also seriously concerning if you know anything (laughs) they do in the marketing uh, areas and, and, and crunching massive amounts of data and figuring out how to manipulate buyers like not just figure out who's willing to buy something but actual actually manipulate their actions that is concerning to me yeah and it's coming it's coming it's it's, it's coming. already here i mean you know the whole story about target right the credit card hack or the i mean which one the targeting um so they had determined oh, the, the pregnant mothers oh yeah. Pregnant, yes, yeah, yes. The, the pregnant women are the most valuable and, da, 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 and, they, and the, that's not the part that's the scary part to me like uh, that makes sense okay like pregnant women are willing to pay more sure you figured that out they're willing to pay more for longer they pay to have convenience over um you know product selection for example and just for anybody who doesn't know the story is i understand is they they were able to see who bought pregnancy tests. Wasn't that what they did? They were able to, deeper than that. They analyzed your entire purchasing history and it, you know, discovered that pregnant women tend to buy certain things. Like when they, so they were finding out women were pregnant before they knew they were pregnant. And it was the part that I found scary was yes, that piece is kind of freaky with enough data. You can figure out that somebody's probably pregnant based on what they're buying. But then they figured out that advertising directly to those women uh, creeped them out, that they that they were actually turned off, right? So they developed a further algorithm to figure out how to do the correct placement of neonatal vitamins on an ad next to boots, uh, hand cream, and whatever, eyeglasses, so that the women didn't think it was a targeted ad. But that woman in that household got a different ad than the woman in the next household who wasn't pregnant. 
uh, the power of habit. That was, that was where I heard about this. It's a really great book. Um, and with lots of cool anecdotes of crunching large amounts of data to figure out how to manipulate people. And that is a huge concern. And I, you know, Katie, I'm sure you, you have some thoughts on the recent Evernote stuff of, you know, like whether or not certain employees were able to view customer data. Well, let's let's back up and just explain very briefly what the recent Evernote stuff was. So Evernote announced and then explained and then tried to explain again and then unannounced um, a update to their privacy policy. And I'm going to explain this very briefly. But basically what Evernote said is Evernote, like many cloud services, has has always had a certain subset of situations outlined in their privacy policy where they can access your user data. Um, and I think we all just need to be aware of that in general. If you're going to put your data in the cloud, someone is going to be able to access it. And most of the times in the privacy policy, reasons why people do that is to enforce their terms of service, to uh, comply with a subpoena, to, to do those types of things. Evernote ha- updated their privacy policy to to add a provision that basically said, and we will allow a certain subset of our employees to look at your privacy data basically as a double check on our AI to make sure that our AI is functioning properly. And people didn't like that. I mean, it was responded to very poorly because I think initially it was not explained well, like most of these things are. But like the message that came across is, wait a minute, employees are going to be able to look at my data? No, thank you. And then they said, no, no, no. Well, let us explain. It's just a small subset of employees. They're going to be trained and they're really only going to be doing it um, just to make sure that our AI is reading your data properly. And then it was like, whoa, tell me more about this AI thing. Excuse me. What's what's going on there? Um, and then I think they tried to explain it again and then it went badly and they just said, uh, disregard, <laughs> never mind. We're packing away from that. Yeah. But you know, the only reason it was machine learning is, is what they called it. And the only reason it was, it was brought up was because of a privacy policy that they felt they needed to state not about the machine learning, but about the humans looking at the data and, they could they could have rolled out the machine learning without ever like I don't know that that's a thing that most companies update their privacy policy that we have algorithms analyzing your data. I think that's just commonplace, right? Did Google's analyzing Gmail? Do they have a privacy policy saying we have learning algorithms figuring out that you ordered plane tickets? And I, and I have no inside knowledge, but my guess is at Evernote, what that's exactly what happened is they said, okay. The internet hates us now, so we are not going to have humans check it. But that doesn't mean they're turning off the algorithm. In fact, if anything, they're probably turning it up. And it's that's a double-edged sword because there's cool things they could do with it, right? Like with if somebody had all of my personal notes that I've ever taken, my entire repository of thousands of notes of pieces of information, they could really help me out for cool things like uh, they know my wife's shoe size. So I don't order the wrong pair of shoes on Amazon or, you know, just tons of things. The problem is like, you don't know the limits of what the algorithm decides to do with that. And I, I just, I don't feel comfortable with saying like, okay, well here, just go ahead and you be the boss of my data and figure out what the best thing to do with my information is. And I, 
just, I don't know. I think this is a new area that we're going to have to come to terms with because this is where everybody's excited to see computers go. Well, it, it seems like the likely next candidate for big steps forward. Um, and, and there's some happening right now. I mean, uh, I mentioned earlier the photos analysis. I mean, that, I don't know. I feel like that's a significant improvement to the application. Don't use it every day, but when I want it, it's there. And it's the machine doing that for me. Um, at some point, it's going to go way beyond it, like the stuff Gabe was talking about, where it's going to read your email and anticipate and send the file back, send the, the power de- point slide deck back to the person for you without you having to take time doing it yourself. But but right now, we're seeing some other things that are improving. Let's talk a little bit about the nice or the benefits of AI that we're starting to see right now. Um, I know like one of the ones you were super interested in is is optical character recognition. Oh yeah. Isn't, isn't it crazy that pretty much any computer I have, I can do almost perfect OCR on, on standard documents. I mean, yeah. OCR on a crummy photo taken in a dark restaurant doesn't still is, is a problem. And I think Evernote nails that better than most, uh, services do, but that, I, my phone is such a great scanner now. I feel like I've gone the whole route with it. I remember when OCR was very custom software and after it ran, you had to go through and proofread it for it and you know, like change letters. That's not the case anymore. I mean, now this stuff is, like you said, most scanning phone apps do OCR for you. And and as a user, once you realize, oh, wait a second, now my computer knows what that document says. Now your computer can start doing automatic things for you. Like give us some, some examples of how you're doing that. I, at this point, I basically own all the scanning apps, uh, ScanBots, the Find Scanner, Scan Plus, like every one of them, Genius Scan, they are superb, excellent scanning apps and do an amazing job. I happen to prefer Scanner Pro right now for one major reason, which is I like that I can scan something with Scanner Pro and then export it as a PNG so I can share it in a text message. I think that's pretty nice. Yeah, I'm using um, Scanner Pro as well, but I'm using it primarily because of one, it's got the OCR features, which is more commonplace now, but it also has the built-in workflows. Yeah, the workflows are really nice. And if you're putting everything into Dropbox or really anywhere, like you can have a separate workflow for, oh, this document is for work. I, I took a picture of a whiteboard, send it to this location. This document is for home, I, you know, send it to this location. I just basically put everything into DevonThink now and then deal with it in DevonThink. So, but it's OCR that way. That that's nice. DevonThink on iOS doesn't have OCR built in. So now does 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 the workflow into DevonThink on iOS just work into the DevonThink uh, mobile app? Yeah, I just send it straight into the they have their own clipper. So the, you know, share extension and it goes in there and you can tell it which database it goes into and put some tags on it and labels and stuff like that. So I, I do that now. Um, so my workflows have gotten much more simple on Scanner Pro. I guess, I guess my point here, David and Katie, is that I do a lot less like manual creation of automation because the apps are working so well now. The, the sharing extension is a big like jump forward on iOS over the you know few years ago of being able to send documents back and forth. You know what I wish more apps did though? You integrated with the document provider service, you know, where you can have like an, an app hold all of your files, but then another app can open them directly. Like that's really neat. Yeah. Just the, the, the distinction between edit and place versus make a local copy. I mean, there's just a lot of 
stuff there that needs to be sorted out that isn't yet on iOS. But but maybe that's the long-term play is is for the AI to improve and for the apps to get more powerful where users don't need something like Hazel on iOS because iOS just does those things for it. And um, I hope that's the case because uh, so many people could benefit from organizing this data better. And it's right now it's a big hot mess generally on iOS. Yeah, I mean, I still don't like some of Apple's, the way they, they do things with iCloud Drive and app folders and things being sequestered. And I worry a little bit that they're going to say, oh, you don't need to be able to send PDFs to anything other than this one app service or this one location. I don't want them being too draconian about it. I think they've learned their lesson on that, but um, I guess we'll see. But I, I, I can't help but think that a lot of that is, you know, they, they've only gone more liberal with that over the last few years. Yeah, yeah. And the, sh- the sharing extension, that's, that's, I do so much in the sharing extensions now that than I ever thought I would. You know, copy, I use copied on iOS to, you know, as a clipboard manager, that's great to be able to like shoot things into copied and then have, go into another app and paste them all. And for those at home, copied is an app for iOS and they have a Mac version too that allows you to keep basically clipboard snippets. Um, and like I use it for building OmniFocus automation, like a bunch of the different commands and task paper, like templates I use, I've saved to copied. So when I'm setting up a new one, I can just pull them out of there and, and go with it. Um, I, I want to talk about notes too, right after this. I want to take a moment and thank our longtime sponsor for Mac Power users, and that is the Omni Group. For years, I have depended upon OmniFocus. OmniFocus is more than just a task management system. It is my life management system. It's available on the Mac, it's available on iOS, and it's even available on the Apple Watch. OmniFocus allows you to quickly and easily get all of your tasks into their system. It's powerful enough for you to use on its own and it syncs through the cloud so that you can use it on any of your other devices running OmniFocus. So whether you're iOS only and want to use it simply on your iPhone or your iPad, whether you want to use it on your Apple Watch or whether you want to use it on your Mac, they've got a platform for you when you are ready to seriously get things done. For me, half the battle is capturing all of my information, and OmniFocus makes it so easy to capture all of the tasks when I think about it. Because if I don't capture what I'm thinking about, it will likely be gone and I'll never remember it later. One of my favorite ways for capturing tasks is to use my voice. OmniFocus for iOS has the ability to integrate with the built-in Reminders app on the operating system. That means that you can set up a dedicated OmniFocus Reminders list, or you can integrate with your existing default Reminders list so you can capture tasks with Siri. You can also get tasks into OmniFocus by sending them through email. A lot of times emails come in with lots of tasks to complete. OmniFocus has this great mail drop feature, which allows you to set up a specific dedicated email address that will sync directly to your OmniFocus inbox, which means if I get an email that has a slew of tasks in it, I can simply forward that email to my special OmniFocus email address. That email will show up in my inbox and I can process it with the rest of my OmniFocus tasks. And finally, OmniFocus has a quick entry shortcut, which in my case means I just hit option space, a little window pops up, whatever happens to be on my mind, I type it, it shows up on my OmniFocus inbox for me to process later. I can get whatever is bothering me out of my head, empty OmniFocus, move on with my life, and process my data later. You can find more information about OmniFocus over at theomnigroup.com. They have a 
free trial that you can go download and try now to see if OmniFocus is right for you. And all of their apps come with a money back guarantee. So go check it out, omnigroup.com. And thanks to Omni for their continued support of Mac Power users. Gabe, how are you dealing with notes uh, in this iOS lifestyle you're leading? <laughs> yeah, the funny thing is, is the more I have to spend time on Windows, the more I'm spending time on iOS. So uh, Notes is a surprisingly good app. And I put a lot of information in it for a while. And then the Devon Think app came out and I kind of gave up on that. I still find it very useful for just like quickly capturing a photo with some text. Like that's really nice. Like it's it's just a great rich text kind of note-taking app. Uh, if I didn't have a full-blown system with Devon Think, I'd probably just go notes only. It's just very, very good. And I in this in the sync was rough for a while. And I think that they have bolted that down a little bit more now. Uh I I don't have a lot of permanent notes in there. So one that I did let's see. I I uh I was house hunting, you know, a year ago. And I just created folders for these are houses in this area. These are houses in this area. These are houses in this area. And as we went went through, I would create a note with the address. And then I would just take tons of information and put it in that, uh, you know, the the stuff from, what is it, myschools.com, where you can like rate schools and stuff from Zillow. And then when we would go to the open house, I would take pictures and and it was great for that. It was fast. It was easy to get to everything and search worked. And uh, I would I would strongly recommend that to anybody that doesn't want to like invest in a big deep app like Devon Think. But but you're not using so now you're using Devon Think for your notes, your day to day notes. Yeah, I don't use the notes app hardly at all anymore because I put most of my notes into Devon Think now, or in in Dropbox for so I can use them in like editorial. So what's your um. What do you, I mean, what do you like about taking notes in Devon Think? We didn't talk about that at all, really, with Stuart. Not a lot. <laughs> Other than they're all in one place and search is great. And I can now put a text note next to a PDF and, and a text note next to a photo. I think that was something I struggled a lot with is sometimes I really do need an image. Like a picture of a whiteboard was, was an example of like, you know, we mapped out some network diagram and... And I want to take notes on that, but then I want the picture from the whiteboard. And before I would have a note in Dropbox, a text note, and then I would have a link that or something that says, see the photo from here. And that wasn't great. It was really rough. And uh, this, this is much better that I can put, I can have a project tag or a project group and just put everything in there and the notes go next to each other, next to the, the images. So, Katie, how are you dealing with notes now? So most of my notes are still in Evernote. Um, that's where I still keep my personal cache of important notes. I, I do a lot of plain text. I mean, um, ByWord creates plain text notes that are saved in files and folders and, and clients matters for things that I need. And I have started experimenting a little bit with Apple Notes. I've got maybe a dozen remote notes going in Apple Notes, but uh, you know, it's kind of honestly, notes are kind of a mess for me at this point. I don't, I don't have a lot of notes, honestly. Yeah, I, I mean, I still, I've talked enough about it, but Apple Notes is still scratching the itch for me for in large part. Um, and and I, I wasn't that impressed with Devin Think's 
Notes window compared to Apple Notes. I feel like Apple Notes is much richer and like even just that little goofy thing. Like when I'm on the phone with somebody, I usually for every legal client, I have a, a running note, one just for the corporate in general. And if someone asks me to do a specific project for them, I have a note for that, too. And like I'll be on the phone with someone and it's really easy to make little check boxes and say, OK, so you're going to get back with me about this, this and this, and I'll write it down. Then afterwards, I'll kind of process it into OmniFocus if I need to. Uh, but just there's lots of little touches in there that that work nicely with the way I think. Yeah, I, I agree. The Devon Think note editor is not great. It's it's one of the areas that I think needs the most attention. Uh, particularly, try to create a note that you also want to put a photo in, uh, like you know a rich note that has some some image in it, and you kind of you can't really do it easily. Um, straight from Devon Think. You kind of have to create the note with some text, then go back and put the picture in it, and it's just awkward. I just to, to completely switch gears, Gabe, I know uh, from talking to you offline that um, your daughter was getting to the age where she needed her own computing device. And you went through, you said something to me that really stuck with me. You said, well, she could either have a Mac or an iPad, but you made an interesting decision and you had interesting reasons. Tell us about that. Yeah, so my daughter's eight, and uh, maybe, a, I don't know, a year ago, a little less. It was just, you know, we needed to do stuff for school, and, you know, I wanted her to be able to look up things on YouTube and and just do computer-type stuff. She's to the age that, that that's, I think, appropriate. And I had an old MacBook Pro, and it was just kind of clunky, and things didn't work anymore, so... I, I I decided, do I buy her a new MacBook or do I get her an iPad Pro? And I went and played with the stylus and the keyboard and did all the stuff and just kind of figured, you know, the future of computing is looks more like an iPad than it does like a Mac. Like, I, I don't think that the Mac is for us old timers and the, the iPad is for the next generation that doesn't think about a mouse, and a mousing surface and things like that, that they think about directly interacting with the content on the screen. And she, you know, as you, we've all heard anecdotes, kids adapt to the iPad really quickly and just boom, she's in, she knows how to do everything. She's figured out Siri and she uses the stylus for things. Surprisingly, she likes to use the stylus for pointing on the, on the device, which is an interesting um, contradiction to, I think, the way Apple thought it would should be used, but uh, whatever. She loves it, and now it's nice to see there's so little flash on the, on the internet now that a lot of stuff that she <laughs> wants to do is available on the iPad without a problem. So I now I steal it from her, and she just scolded me the other day of like I wanted to use my iPad to do these math, you know, games and you had it at work. <laughs> I was like, Oh, <laughs> that's bad. So, well, I mean, we, we did a show recently, iPad versus kind of laptop, you know, or, and it, there are so many reasons, especially as a dad to like the iOS device. It's easier to manage, easier to maintain less, you know, less fiddliness involved for the kids. Yeah. Touch ID is nice. So I can give her like a reasonable password and let her use touch ID to, to unlock it. That was, that was great, which is, hard to do until the latest MacBook Pro uh, was hard to do on a Mac. You'd have to give her a, you know, a 12 character password, <laughs> ask an eight year old, Oh, just remember this. Yeah. That doesn't go, go great. 
I, I do wish they would make multiple user accounts available on these big iPads. Ah, that kills me. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a folder called Daddy right on the iPad, and that's I have OmniFocus on there and DevonThink and all my apps. And I'm just a little concerned, <laughs> like if she just uh, oh, what's this purple? The like box with a black check mark. This looks cool. I'll just check them all off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is a fun game. <laughs> like, no. So you're at work and you just look at your OmniFocus database and they just start disappearing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's she's a good kid. She's not going to do that kind of thing. But is it just feels weird to have that shared environment and that seems like a very obviously missing part of iOS that the Mac does support. So how long has she been on the iPad as computing device now? About about a year, I would say. Like when, when I got it shortly after the iPad Pro twelve uh, nine came out, and uh, it's her thing. Like it's that's what she thinks of a computer as. Like she doesn't. She goes to school and they have computers there, and it's kind of weird to her. Like they have a mouse, and you look at the screen, and the, there's a keyboard that's separate from the. You know, it's it's this weird old thing and to her like her computer is her ipad so where has it fallen down i mean where has she need like is it, have you had this situation yet where she needs to do something that's just not possible with the ipad yeah a lot of it are like on uh on the some of the disney or nickelodeon sites they don't work great on the ipad um but for a kid no nothing nothing really uh she can text message on it just fine. You know, ha- having the camera on front and back, she uses that all the time. It's like her FaceTime machine. Uh, there's been nothing for her that's been a problem. A lot of the, the younger kids in my area are using Google Docs at school where they have shared documents with the teachers and everything, and that would work fine off iPad. Yeah, and I, I would say for me, I can see myself in a in a year or two, maybe, you know, with the next iteration, moving to an iPad. But you know the all the talk of iPad only. That's great. Like to me, that sounds like somebody who's never like done anything with a bank. Because <laughs> I don't know if you you tried to do anything with like a like I tried to add a user to a, a credit card. You can't do it on iOS. Like it literally doesn't come up with that section of the website. And so that's still a part. Like the world still hasn't caught up to where I think that it should be for the, to match the technology, and that's a concern. Yeah, I was trying to use an iPad only just for my mobile stuff, and even that, I eventually ran into some walls I couldn't get past. But it's still an amazing thing. I, I mean, to me, uh, the the holdup is really software. It's amazing to me that you know Apple has done a really good job of making some really powerful hardware with iOS, but it feels to me like they need to rethink iOS in a lot of ways to make it go to that next step. Yeah, I think um, they have some principles that they've held on to really tightly. And I worry that the world has passed by those original thoughts about what the device should be and what it should do. And they should, could, you know, the they're used to forcing the world to catch up to them. And I think we've, it's adapted as much as it's going to. And it, like the iPad now needs to do more computer-like stuff. Like I, I, I do think that their idea of iCloud Drive is not a good solution for for a lot of people. Not just not just old people, but I think I think that thinking in folders and organizing documents and things like that is is a fairly natural way to organize things. You give somebody paper folders and they know what to do with them 
when you know at almost any age well they've kind of done that that's the weird thing like icloud you know it's like they have that there's an underlying dropbox copy there but the implementation is wonky and it's like there's different probably different departments that want to go further down that road than other departments and the result is it's it's almost unusable because that you know somebody just needs to grab the bull by the horns there and start pushing it i also think uh there's a lot of attention on voice control siri things like that which is which is cool but it's not appropriate for a personal computer for for a lot of the use cases that i have or that my daughter would have like i don't want her talking out loud to her computer when she's, you know, on the bus or at a restaurant or something like that and, and giving, giving up personal information verbally to the device. And, and that is, seems to be a big, big focus and it's, it's cool. It's nice, but it's still not going to solve everything. Either way, it's interesting to me that you made that choice, especially someone being kind of the automation geek that you are, that you went that direction. Yeah, I just like I said, I think with with the apps, inner app um, connectivity and sharing sheets and things like that, automation is a lot less of a concern now. It's so much easier to get information out of one app into another. Think about those days before we had that share sheet and how what it took to get information around your device. Like copy and paste was kind of it. And now you can do so much more. And sharing sheets are much richer in, in applications where you can actually have functionality. Um, I just don't think that's as critical anymore on iOS. And I'm more of a believer in workflow than you are. I think that the difference is I've, I've gone down the dark path, you know, and once I figured it out and I had several working workflows, that gives me like a basis to start from for new ones. And it doesn't take me as long as it used to, to, to build a decent workflow. Yeah. There's still so much like write to a variable, read from a variable, write to a variable, read from a variable. It just seems to take a lot of time. But templating would be, like you're saying, probably save me a lot of effort. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. I'm a big fan of the idea of having your own presence on the Internet. It should be your website, and you should be in control of every pixel. The trouble is, it's hard to set up your own internet site, and a lot of people don't have the knowledge to do so. I don't. And that's where Squarespace comes in. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next big idea. With a unique domain and award-winning templates, you can't go wrong. Whether you're looking to create an online store or a site for a portfolio of photos or even just a personal blog, Squarespace has got you covered. It's an all-in-one platform. That means there's nothing to install. There's no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You just sign up for an account and get started. You don't have to worry about all the little details because Squarespace has got you covered. If you've got any questions, they've got award-winning 24-7 customer support. One of the things I really like about Squarespace is that they allow you to easily grab a unique domain name right from Squarespace. You don't need to go to a separate hosting company. Another great feature are the beautifully designed templates. They've got templates for just about every type of blog or business site that you can think of. And that's just the jumping off point. Anybody can go in and customize the templates further. That's what I've done with Max Sparky. 
I think one of the reasons Squarespace sponsors the MacPow users is because I'm such a big customer. I've got both Mac Sparky and my law firm website hosted through Squarespace. My wife has her blog through Squarespace, and some of the school and local community organizations we're affiliated with have also gone to Squarespace at my recommendation. I think I may be keeping them in business, but there's a reason for that, because they're awesome. You can get started with a plan for just $12 a month, and they have a no-hassle trial that doesn't even require a credit card to get started at squarespace.com. When you decide to go for it, sign up using the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Katie and I at the Mac Power Users. So remember that offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and go make that next big move in your life using Squarespace. So Gabe, it's been a while since we, we caught up with you. What, what new are you playing with in your life? Are there any new apps or services or toys that delight you? Did you get anything fun for Christmas this year? I got the automatic pro for, for what a nut I am about not being tracked. I got a device that specifically tracks me. That that seems a, a little funny for someone who's just spent a whole lot of the show talking about privacy and AI and, and those types of things. What, what attracted you to it? Uh, so I commute a lot and I wanted to try and figure out information about my commute. Like if I leave at a certain time, how long, and I've, I've tried to time myself of like, Oh, if I leave at this time, it takes this long to get home. But I often forget to start a timer or something like that. And so this just seemed like a nice way to solve that. And I had a specific incident with my car several months ago that was really annoying where uh, some error code showed up it's like A21. I was like, A21? Oh, no. What's wrong with my car? Made an appointment. Go in, because, of course, they won't tell you over the phone. Uh, go in, and they're like, oh, that means you're 50% of the way to your 10,000-mile checkup or something like that. I was like, what? <laughs> that is not a thing for an alert. So the, the Automatic Pro supposedly will like give you a human-readable um, answer to that code, which I thought was was awesome. Then the... The the Pro has the 3G, so you can use things like find your car in a parking lot. That seems really nice. Um, I I thought that was that was a nice benefit. Plus, because I commute so much, the uh, ability for it to notify my wife if I'm in an accident or something like that seemed like nice. Right? That's that's what computers should be able to do. Like help you out when you're stuck and uh, do do good things for you. So. I don't know. Like they, my my feeling is I go between two places. Anybody that had tracked me even for like four days would know I go work to home <laughs> and home to work. And so it, it's fairly predictable anyways. They're not going to figure out much other than, you know, oh, he works these hours and that that's about it. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm okay leaking, leaking that information. <laughs> So you'd be an easy target is what you're telling us. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I'm an easy target. <laughs> what about apps? Uh, Apps-wise, what have I been playing with more recently? A Notable. That's a cool screenshot editing app. Um, I've been playing with Airtable. That's fun. It's a... Airtable is a service and an app where it's kind of like an online spreadsheet that you can... Um, store information and then create a form so people can fill it out and it'll populate it and uh, do interesting things with the data. And uh, it's, it's cool. It's a really, it seems like a pretty powerful app. 
It's like an evolution of a database in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. It's like the the next rung up from like a Google Docs is kind of how I view it, or, or an Excel of it. It can do more things. It can. It's online. It can be shared. People can enter data in a form, and it'll fill it, fill in the spreadsheet. You know, which Google Docs can do. Uh, let's see. What what are you using Airtable for though? I mean, what 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 are you? Oh, I'm uses? just playing around. Like I, tr- you know, so I talked about all my craft beer data. I put all my craft beer data in there and parsed it all out and tried to do some interesting stuff with like automatic coloring and and functions and geolocation stuff like that. So I was just using it as a as a project to learn about Airtable because it seems like a cool service. I, I love how any new technology in your life you come down to. How can I? harness this and you know in the pursuit of better beer I yeah like that. well yeah if you're gonna put your energy towards something you should get, get a little bo- <laughs> a little benefit out the other end yes uh i am you know one of the things i'm i continue to be fascinated with in ios is the um today screen widgets and stuff like that so i'm forever trying weather apps and and trying out different widgets and seeing what i can do with them and uh, the Amazon app is surprisingly awesome, like in different ways. Like you can search based on picture or you can talk to it and say, Should, you know, when are my orders arriving? Uh, you know, so I, I've, I, I've been trying to put more effort into learning how to actually leverage the things I have too. Well, it's, it's named poorly is the today view when really it's kind of the widget view. And I always feel like everybody says, well, when are they going to redesign iOS? So it's more like Android where you've got these widgets on your screen. I think they kind of have already without telling anybody. And it's in the today view. Well, now they took, didn't they take out the tabs that actually say today and notifications? Now it's just two screens that slide back and forth. They don't name them anymore. So I guess now we can call it whatever we want. Let's call it the widget view. Yeah, why not? Let's start something here. But you're right. I mean, the, 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 and, and app developers, some app developers are embracing it and doing some interesting things with it, and some aren't. Yeah, yeah it's, that's, that's the thing that I think is somewhat of a downer, is finding out, oh, this app doesn't have a share sheet, or this app doesn't do this thing. And it's, you know, obviously everybody has their own priorities. But that kind of breaks the way I want to be able to use the device if I can't, like, quickly pop open... Um, you know, my, my today view or widget view and, uh, and, and access an app because they didn't bother making a widget like that, that kind of stinks. Oh, you know what, you know, it's a, a, like a pretty awesome app that hardly anybody talks about maybe because it's so crazy expensive. Uh, Rego. I've never heard of that. R-E-G-O. R-E-G-O. Um, originally it was like a way to document, uh, location, Think of it as a private Foursquare, almost. Like, you can bring it up and find stuff and then document, like, take a picture. I was here. It captures the geolocation. Um, And it was, you know, kept on your device. And so, of course, I like that. But they've slowly updated it. This was one that I used a lot when I was looking for houses, too. Because in Rego, you just kind of, they have a widget where you can say, like, remember the spot. And... When we go hiking in the woods, I take a photo with Rego and Rego, re, or, or you can take a photo with your camera if you prefer to get some you know nicer photos, and then bring them into Rego and it'll use the geolocation to say, oh, this location, here's a photo, and it shows it on a map, and you can label them, you can put them in categories and say this is you know hiking, and then you can remember, oh, that's you know that was where we took that picture on top of that rock, and there it is on my map, and it's it's really neat. 
Well, what's the difference between that and the Photos app? I mean, don't you do the same thing in Photos? I find Photos is less of a... This, think of it as... Photos is photo-centric, and it happens to show some location information. This is much more location-centric, and and you can add photos to those locations. So you can add location, you can look on a map and drop a pin, and then add photos to that later. You can... Um, you can share the locations online. So you can say like, here's a set of photos in the specific location. It shows in like a map that people can interact with. Um, yeah, I guess try it out and see, see if you, if it solves that itch, but you know, it's hard to recommend to people because it, I think it, last I checked, it was like $60 or something like that. I think they, they were going after a, um, the real estate market, real estate category of, of apps and could ask for a higher price, but yeah, that's rough. <laughs> and I like to spend money on apps. <laughs> but, I, but I bought it when it was like, I think it was $5 at one point, and I bought it when it was $5. So but they just updated it, and I think, that, you know, it's a, it's a really well-designed app that does, it, does its job extremely well. I must have bought it at some point because I can go ahead and download it right now if I want. So I, so here's what I did. Like I moved to this new town and I have different categories. One is our hiking category. Another is shopping. So like where's the gas station? Where's the grocery store? And I can bring up a map with these different categories on it and see like, oh, okay, here's here's the gas station. Uh, oh, there's our grocery store. So I know how to get to the grocery store. And and then this location over here is the woods where it shows where we go hiking. And so that that's really nice. What about on the Mac? Anything blowing your hair back these days? Hmm. Not not a whole not a whole lot. I'm I don't I don't hold out hopes that the Mac is gonna. I'm I'm losing my my enthusiasm to really stick with the Mac. I guess I'm I'm real worried. I'm really worried about it. I don't I don't I don't think uh, Tim Cook's internal comments have satisfied my my anxiety of of where the Mac is going. So I'm a little worried to like get really into a Mac app. I don't think the Mac's going anywhere real soon. I, I don't think, I don't know how much they're going to push on the upper end, but I think that generally the the platform is going to be around for many years. That's my I, I I hope so. I hope the developers are there for it too. Yeah. That's a concern, I guess. You know, if they... Man, I feel, I feel like this is kind of a downer. <laughs> sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, I do. I do love my computer a lot. Well, you you talked about you buying your daughter an iPad Pro, and then borrowing it from time to time. Is there an iPad Pro in your future? It sounds like since maybe you're heading more on the iOS realm, what's holding you back then? Uh, I love 3D Touch on my iPhone, and I really want that. Like, I find myself accidentally doing it on the iPad Pro, wishing that I had 3D Touch everywhere. Um. The keyboard shortcuts on iOS still aren't like app developers still haven't filled in those gaps, and I find it less efficient for me, like reaching up, tapping the screen. That's a complaint I have at OmniFocus. Like, there's there are good keyboard shortcuts, but it's really hard to like quickly work through a task list with with just my keyboard. Um, so I think with the next revision of the iPad Pro, if they add 3D touch and it's not just a, hey, we put a more powerful camera in it or a version two pencil or something like that, if they go you know, a little bit further and marry it with the, the awesome features of the, the iPhone uh, 7 Plus, uh, then I'll probably, that's where I'll be putting my money instead of, an, I, instead of a MacBook Pro. 
you know, uh, very few people use 3D touch. How, how are you using it? Oh, I love it. It's so great. Like every app that supports it is like my, it's like my favorite thing. Um, just overcast, bringing up uh, your, your playlist or playing an episode uh, like mail, like switching to your, your VIP lists. Uh, OmniFocus, obviously um, like one writer, you can quickly like uh, open a text file or create a new document, things like that. It's, it's, great it's such a huge time saver to me i i wish it was just like widgets i wish it was more front and center for for apple to say look you can do all this stuff without opening the app waiting for it to launch going to the screen doing this thing you know what i use constantly all day long is one password search the 3d touch to just quickly jump into search and, and get get search going well, and that's really, to me, another, like, one of the things I'm coming around to is that while we don't have traditional Mac-based automation in iOS, we do have ways to move around and, and man- manipulate the system much faster, and 3D Touch is a piece of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at look at Workflow. Workflow is really awesome because they, they don't just give you, like, a few things. You can add workflows below it to launch those workflows, not just create a new workflow. So those are those are all really nice things. Drafts is really nice too. I mean, in terms of if you've got a, a set of drafts created, it's a very quick way to get back into them. Yep, and quickly dictate. Um, we didn't even talk about watch, but I, I wear an Apple Watch, and drafts is the main reason I wear it. Yeah, well, drafts is a perfect. It's a perfect type of app for the watch in the sense that there's not a lot to do with it. You want to be very quick, easy access, and it's. It's I find with with WatchOS three, I'm so, yeah, Watch WatchOS three. It's confusing. There's series one, series two, WatchOS three, but with WatchOS three, drafts is is really fast and reliable as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, you know what? It's it's too fast and reliable. I accidentally dictated a meeting, like I was in a meeting and I accidentally hit the watch, and eventually I looked down. I'm like, oh, I've been like capturing the text of the everybody speaking in this meeting and it was surprisingly accurate uh so those oops well they've, they've done some interesting things in drafts with with um dictation which is a whole nother topic and we'll, we'll say it for another day um but just one last point on that drafts on the watch is definitely complication worthy um that's one where you can put the complication on your watch face and just jump into it by just tapping your watch face which is about as fast as you could get so do you mind if I, I, I have a question for, for Katie Sure. and then uh, a request for the, for the show. The question for you, Katie is can, can photos find a Klingon? No, photos cannot because, find a Klingon. I've tried. Okay. All right. So at least it's fair. Can't yeah. find a Wookiee or a Klingon. And then, uh, so David, you will, you will understand this. My wife is developing tunnel carpal. Carpal, carpal tunnel. Carpal, carpal tunnel. Sorry. Yes cold medicine, uh, carpal tunnel and in both, both arms. And I would love it if you guys at some point talked about, uh, how you deal with that, how dictation helps with that, you know, what you do in your office arrangement and things like that. Because I think that overlaps a little bit with iOS in that I think iOS would be worse for, for that problem for her of just the constant moving her hand up to touch the screen and stuff like that. I, I can, I can give you my, my three minute version right now. We we've actually, I have had the outline for this show. Um, maybe it's something more to talk about on a, um, on an MPU plus or something like that. Cause I've, I've had the outline for the show 
working in my head, but I've never been able to, um, number one, find a great guest for the show. So if, if you are the guest, if someone out there is listening to this and you're the guest for the show, someone with, you know, a medical background or that can then talk about this and make it an interesting topic, uh, let me know, you know, reach out to us, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. So I've, I've had a hard time finding a guest for the show because I definitely want someone with a medical background to be able to talk intelligently about this. I can talk to you a little bit about it from a, a personal background because I was actually diagnosed with bilateral carpal tunnel when I was fairly young. I mean, when I was in my, my teens, I want to say 16, 17, um, back in, back in high school, um, and, um, went to a, uh, a surgeon who was, was ready to cut on me like right then. And that was back when carpal tunnel surgery, I mean, it was, it, you know, was not, and now it's a much simpler procedure. It's a laparoscopic procedure and things like that. And it was a, a little more in, invasive procedure. And very thankfully, um, my mother has a healthcare background. She's like, I, I really don't think that's a good idea. I think that's kind of an optional of a last resort. Let's, let's, let's don't do that unless we absolutely have to. So, um, we were, we were very anti-surgery and ended up not, not doing that. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not one of these anti-surgery and anti-medical people. I think if you need to, you, you certainly should, but what ultimately ended up working for me and I've managed to say, you know, mostly symptom-free and and fairly pain-free for a decade or more now. Um, big things that that changed for me. I got connected with an ergonomist, and it can be hard to find a really good ergonomist. But I got connected with an ergonomist through our local teaching hospital, and had several sessions with them. And um, they did a couple things for me. Um, one, when I was really flared and having significant problems during that time in my life, they helped build some custom splints for me, you know, like with molding of the hand and things like that. Um, because I found a lot of the off the shelf solutions didn't work well for me. And so I had some, some custom splints that were made and and I actually slept in those and, and for years did things like that. Um, the other thing that they helped me with, um, is getting some good habits and some good workstation setups. So, what keyboard is right? What and it not just because it says it's an ergonomic keyboard doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right keyboard for you. Right, that's my concern. Is like you don't just go buy a Microsoft Contour or something like that, and that'll that'll solve it. Um, and and some of it's trial and error. But you know, so the, she came out and she did a workstation eval. You know, in my workstation eval, and able to say, you know, your monitor needs to be three inches higher, your chair needs to be two inches lower. We actually need to chop the legs off of your desk and lower, you know, and, and do those types of things. And that helped tremendously. Um, and, and then just some some changing of habits. You know, you can't take the laptop and type on the bed anymore. You know, you can't. You really, when you're working, you need to be at the desk. You, you know, and and things like that. And I find that mostly, as long as I behave, I'm okay. Um, and, and I've, I've been pretty happy for years. Well, thanks. That, that gives me hope that this isn't a couple of things to look into. Yeah. But see if you can get connected with a good ergonomist that, that, that made a world of difference for me. Great. Thanks. I never expected you to do the show live when I asked for I'll it. Do the, yeah. What else you got? No. <laughs> Gabe, we're there for you, man. We're there for you. Thanks. I, I do think though with dictation and this is a running bit for me, I guess, but I, I think part of dictation is. There's a way you talk to a computer and it's different than the way you talk to your friends. Uh, it's more formal. You have to accommodate your voice a little bit to the input mechanism. But dictation, it works best when you batch it, when you do long dictation sessions. 
and uh, going through and and if you can put all that text in with your voice, that will take pressure off your fingers. But then you've got to figure out once I dictate it, what do I do with it? And um, that that's something we'll save for that show. Well, we'll do that show this year. If we can't find the right guest, we'll just we'll wing it. But I suspect we'll find the right guest. Awesome. Thanks. Gabe, thank you so much for coming on the show and keeping us up to date. Sure. I love you guys. Thank you so much for, for doing the show. Hey, it keeps me sane. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, sometimes I can't believe how lucky I am with the show and, you know, Katie and I have, have been very fortunate to, to have this audience and, and something that we can do every week. I, uh, I was just telling a friend of mine, uh, you know, I just, if, if 12 year old me saw what 48 year old was me is doing, he'd be, he'd be impressed. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, I, uh, I want everybody to go over to Mac Drifter and follow Gabe because I like, I mean, I've always been a fan of the stuff you write. It's always interesting and it's always little bits of help plus kind of this ongoing commentary. And if nothing else, you know that if you ever need a, a extensive library of GIFs that the Gabe Weatherhead <laughs> is your man. Oh, I should open source that at some point, although I don't <laughs> own the rights to them. So maybe not. <laughs> Probably don't own the rights to any of them. Actually, no, no, no. no. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, David. Thank you, Katie. I really appreciate uh, getting to chat. And and folks can find you on Twitter as well, right? Uh, no, I don't do Twitter anymore. Wow, I'm off Twitter. That's another whole another story. A whole story. I mean, I'll be. I may maybe back some someday. I miss my friends there, but no, I don't. I don't do Twitter. Trying trying some some different things with my life this year. Good for you. Some, sometimes I wish I didn't do Twitter. There's always, always somebody to tell me what I'm doing wrong on Twitter. So how, for, how fortunate I am to have those people in my life. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Um, oh, David, do we have a Facebook announcement you want to announce? I wasn't aware we were announcing that, but let's. I guess if you want to, we can. We're doing it, Katie. We're gonna. We asked on the Google uh, group first, and everybody seems. Hip. Well, not. Let's be clear. Not not everybody. There was some definitely some dissenting voices, but. Well, we've had the Google group for the Mac Power users for a couple of years now, and it's it's I think something like six thousand members. It's very large, and it's a great resource. But we're not getting the support we like, and it seems like everybody's doing this stuff on Facebook anymore. And I, I've had this ongoing thing with that. I don't like Facebook, and I don't use it. But now all of a sudden, I realize if I want to actually see pictures of people in my family, I have to be a Facebook member. And we decided we're just going to join the stream here and set up a Facebook group for the Mac Power users. So, uh, so there's some positive here, right, Katie? Yay. Yeah, so we're going to set it up and um, we're going to have a couple rooms um, on certain topics, but we're not going to have a lot of them. We want people to be able to intermix and um, we're going to set up in a way that, um, you know, it, I guess it's not done yet. We're putting it together. So as the show publishes, it will not be live yet, but we're just giving you a heads up that it's coming along. If you've got ideas that you think we should incorporate into whatever we're doing, let me know. Uh, Mrs. Max Barkey, my wife is going to be a big help on this. She's, she does Facebook, uh, rooms for some of her business friends and, um, we're going to do this, right, Katie? Yeah, no, I am excited about it. The, the Google group, we should say has been awesome. We have gotten a ton of great content, ton of get great feedback. 
with the Google group. But the the only downside I can say is that Google Plus did not take off. That's quite a shocker there, isn't it? Um, and, and therefore, we have not had quite the participation that we had hoped that we had. Although the people who do participate in the Google group um, are extremely active, and we love you and thank you. So we hope that you will come over and join us in Facebook. My hope with the Facebook group is that we will create a larger community there. So um, stay tuned. We we'll, might possibly have a link in the show notes for the Facebook group. I don't know if it'll be set up by then, uh, but but definitely um, before the end of the month, that Facebook group will, will be set up. I think, David, like you said, we're going to set up where you actually have to ask to be in it because we don't want to keep the spammers out, but we'll we'll have someone approving that those pretty regularly. Yeah, it's not going to be, there's no test or anything. We just don't want, you know, hackers and people that are no fun in there and hopefully it gets really active to the extent we'll even get some listeners to help us manage it sounds like a plan all right well thanks everybody it's been fun you can find links to everything that we've talked about in this episode in the show notes at relay.fm slash mpu uh, you can find us on twitter the show is at mac power users i'm at katie floyd and david is at max Sparky. and we will see you all next time